0: Hi, I'm Samantha, a past guest on C-Jam's HandyLink. You're listening to HandyLink on C-Jam 99.1 FM, reaching high ground in Windsor, Detroit.
1: And Welcome to HandyLink, sponsored by the Italian-Canadian Handy Capable Association, an organization that provides recreational and athletic opportunities for individuals with disabilities in Windsor Essex. For more information, check out ICHA on Facebook. I'm your host, Cam Wells. In this segment of our show, Nama Weingarten will share a little bit about a video project she created. Can be taken in a disabilities context.
2: So awesome. let me know when we started recording. Yep.
1: Yeah. So recently, uh, you did a video project on dealing with rejection. Quite an excellent one. Just tell me a little bit about that.
2: Well, um, not too long ago. About actually, yes, too long ago. Actually, I guess a year ago, um, I stumbled upon this posting um, uh, that CBC made they were essentially looking for young content creators, uh, people, young adults, to make content for their YouTube channel. And I thought it would be a nice opportunity. I've always been looking to get more into broadcast, So I started pitching ideas. One pitch after another after another. They just kept being turned down. And uh, honestly, I was just kind of very motivated to release a video and told myself from the beginning that it was going to happen. So I just kept going. And eventually, my last idea that ended up getting approved, I just thought, hey, I've been handling rejection right and left the past few years, let alone with this project, I might as well talk about that. That's something that I can actually talk about. So I pitched the idea. How, how to handle rejection. And uh, I guess the producers, uh, from the communication of how to them, knew that I can handle it at this point. Because, uh, well, <laughs> all the pitches beforehand, so that one happened to be approved. And So... It was it really important of... to me, especially, to make a video about... Yeah? So,
1: I'm thinking... Uh... This has a huge reflection on the disability community. A lot of them are told day after day the things they shouldn't try or the things that uh, they couldn't do without actually having a basis in fact. Not too many uh, actually have the wherewithal. Do you have any thoughts as to uh, what benefit this video and uh, thoughts along these lines might have for them? Absolutely.
2: Absolutely. Um, I really do. There's something in the video that, um, a main line that I think is the biggest takeaway, which is the fact that people proved wrong every single day. You know, there's this huge stigma that seems to overshadow, um, you know, the disability community that someone who's not able-bodied is not as capable in performing a task as someone else, as someone else, whether that's a physical disability or a mental disability. There's this notion that they're just incapable or not as good. And, you know, there's so many people in the disability community who literally just keep proving that wrong, right? Because it is a wrong idea. And um, especially when you face rejection from all these people who are very closed-minded and don't believe that you can do it, just keep in mind, people get proved wrong every single day. And such a big part of handling rejection is just, you know, not letting your ego take too much of a hit and really getting up and trying again. And if someone rejects you, don't think about the fact that you're not good enough. Think about how much they have to lose, right? Try to look at it from that angle. Of, you know, I've got all these skills and, hey, if you don't want me? Well, that's fine. I'll either prove it are wrong or I'll go to someone else. Because truth is, if you've got talent, somebody's going to see that. They might not be the first person you walk up to. might not be the second or the third or the fourth or the 20th. That's but the, someone's going to see it. So no matter what, you should always keep trying.
1: That's the thing, though.
2: And, um, you know, at the end of the day, and this is another... Yeah, go on. Oh no, I was gonna say that's you know a big thing that I said in the video. Of, you know, all these people that we look up to, all these people that we want to be. It's not necessarily that they're better than us all the time, or more talented than us, or can physically or mentally do things that we can't. A lot of times, it's just people who really didn't give up. That's that's the main common theme. I mean, let's face it. There's so many. Idiots who are successful out there. I'm there we can think of a ton. How many singers are out there who cannot sing without autotune? You know, or politicians who literally, you know, c- c- speak out of their butt, <laughs> for lack of a better term. You know, didn't necessarily succeed because they're smarter or better or more capable. Mm-hmm. They succeeded because they tried again and again. They didn't give up, and one day someone believed in them. And uh, that's always what you need to keep in mind. Whatever it is you want to do, there's someone out there way less talented than you doing that. You know, just because they gave it another shot.
1: It's interesting in that uh, some people who have faced rejection at times have uh, ended up with greater mental health risks because uh, the stress and the strain, hearing what you can't do all the time as opposed to someone saying... Let's work with what you do have and what you do know. So I think uh, it's really a great point. But also, the fact is, it takes that someone who's willing to look beyond the obvious. And I think that's for all of us. I mean, a lot of it comes down to luck and persistence. Meeting the right person at the right time and showing what you're capable of.
2: Absolutely. 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 And, um, you know, just because someone doesn't believe in your potential doesn't mean it's not there. Right? I mean, we believe in all sorts of things. (laughs) So, yeah, just just no matter what, keep believing in yourself. And, um, you know, if, if you keep telling yourself you're a loser, then maybe you are a loser. Right? But if you step out of that mindset, then maybe you're not. Confidence can really get you further than you think. Confidence in having people believe in you, but no one's going to believe in you if you are not confident, right? It's societal. So, given the potential... And, uh, when they say fake it to make it, it really is true. Yeah? Uh,
1: given the potential this has to encourage not only the disability community, but really anyone who's ever dealt with these issues, do you see yourself doing more videos like this, and uh, trying to foster that sense of possibility.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, there's more ideas for think for videos I'm thinking of doing that is if CBC wants to do more videos. But, um, yeah, I mean, a lot of next video ideas that I have is um, I really want to do a video on how to handle imposter syndrome. That's a big thing that I want to talk about because, you know, even when we do overcome rejection and do get what we want, lot of times that uh, fake-it-till-you-make-it feeling sticks around, even after you make it, right? Like, you might finally have that person that believes in you, but you still don't believe in yourself fully, and that can be really hard to cope with. Um, So I really want to talk about that, you know, and how to reward ourselves for our success, believing in ourselves, and knowing that we deserve the things that we accomplished, whether or not we believe in it.
1: There are uh, some conditions, especially in the mental health realm, that make it tough for a person to accept good things when they happen, to trust that uh, they've actually made it, that something real and meaningful is happening. So speaking to that might just be uh, an interesting sort of insight.
2: Absolutely, yeah. You know what? It's such a big connection with low self-esteem. Like, even with myself, I mean, I, I don't have a disability, but... You know, when you when you have all these feelings that you're not good enough and you, you shouldn't be doing things and uh, all of a sudden someone chooses to believe in you, like, that feeling doesn't just end, right? That feeling of, like, I am capable, it doesn't just kick in when somebody believes in you. And it shouldn't, to be honest, because your validation in yourself shouldn't be in the hands of other people. You know, you should believe in yourself because you believe in yourself, not because other people do. But... Um, Yeah, absolutely, and it can be even more stressful, you know, because now you've worked so hard to get somewhere, you don't think you're entirely capable, but someone thinks you can pull it off, and now it almost feels like, you know, people expect these things from you, and uh, you have to live up to people's expectations, I mean, you've created these expectations, but it's, it's tough to imagine you can actually live up to it, but deep down you have to remember that people can read BS, they can smell it from meters away miles away and if someone didn't have a reason to believe in you they wouldn't you know and especially when people won't hire up people who hire you if they believe in you it's for a reason and and it's it's easy to you know tell yourself that oh i must have faked it i must have lied they must have just not seen something they might just not be aware of how dumb i am or how capable i am or however but trust me they are aware (laughs) a lot of times they are well aware And um, the sheer fact that you get opportunities that people chose to bring you on means that you should have more faith in yourself, too, just like other people do.
1: Like, thank you for taking the time out to do this, but if you can stay on the line for a sec, that'd be great.
2: Absolutely.
1: In this segment of our show, Darren Conliff will be telling us a little bit about sledge hockey. So... Can you tell me a little bit about your experiences with sledge hockey? Um,
0: so, I'm trying to think. 2013, we were just exposed to the sport. Uh, a local uh, treatment, the Children's Treatment Network, held a what they call a try it on event in our area, and then, um, as a result of that. I think it was a three-week, three-Saturday session that they held at the local arena. Uh, it was clear to us that a, a group of the kids that were participating enjoyed it and wanted to continue, so a group of the parents got together and um, sort of started uh, the, to lay the basis of forming a sledge hockey team and, and figuring out what that was involved with that because none of us had really ever been involved with organized sports before. So it was there were a lot of challenges, but we worked as a group and got through them. Uh, we we started up a team called the Simcoe County Sliders. Uh, we went to the ice on January of 2014. Uh, we played the first season. We just did practices. We played a couple of exhibition games, and the next year we went into competitive play within the Ontario Sledge Hockey Association. Uh, we played for five years, and then as our players grew and developed, we were kind of came to a crossroads because we had a number of our, our players within our team that were ready to move up to the next level, but we didn't have enough players at that level to start another team, and we had not enough members left at the other level to form another junior team. we merged with the Elmville Bears uh, at the end of that season and we've been part of the Elmville Bears ever since. Uh, My first year, uh, our first year in the uh, participating with OSHA, I sat on the board of directors or the executive as the secretary for a two-year term, and then I was done, and then I stepped away. And then uh, last year, our past president, Drew Rigdon's term, was up and stepped down, and I was nominated and voted in as president of the Ontario Sledge Hockey Association. That's
1: sort of where we're at now. So, in terms of the sport itself... you tell me a little bit about how sledge hockey differs or is similar to the able-bodied equivalent of just hockey? So,
0: essentially, the only real difference is is you're sitting down in a sledge versus being on skates, uh, wearing shoes. And instead of uh, having one stick, you have two. We have the same rules. There are a few different rules. Uh, that are more geared towards sledge just because of the nature of sitting down and
1: whatnot. But aside from that, the normal regular game rules are pretty much all the same. So how does the association go about reaching out to potential players and uh, potential teams even? So uh, uh, how we do
0: that is uh, our are comprised of the association is the board of directors or whatever or the governing body for Sledge hockey in Ontario so we have a number of teams across Ontario not not anything like stand-up hockey so and that's what people need to to know is there is a considerable amount of travel involved when you play stretch hockey because it's not like stand-up hockey there's not a uh, there's not a, ta- a team in every town, so it's not like you're driving to the next town rather then playing. There, there's this considerable amount of travel. So, what happens is typically the local teams will uh, hold tried on events to try and recruit new players, uh, and then if, if, if we end up with too many, then a new team may. Be a spinoff of that. There's not been a lot of growth. uh, Growth is hard. We try and spread the word about uh, our sport and our association through various uh, physiotherapies, doctors, uh, that sort of thing, to to make awareness aware that that it is an option for athletes or uh, kids that want to play a sport may suffer from some sort of impairment but that being said it should also be known that our, our sport within OSHA is a fully able body sport as well we
1: welcome able body as well as all uh, individuals with impairments so for those athletes with disabilities what are some of the benefits of playing the sport itself and then again where so you broke up so, for an athlete with a disability coming in, what are some of the yep. benefits they might enjoy from playing sledge hockey?
0: Uh, well, for one, they're playing a team sport. I know when we first got started, uh, one of the main reasons why we got started is as as a parent, well, we, we got tired of hearing, no, you can't. You know what I mean? Like, I, and I'm sure a lot of families can relate. If you have a child with a certain disability, they can't do everything that an able-bodied child is. As a parent, you want to try and do everything to help your child do as much as they can. So you're getting that team aspect, you're getting that camaraderie, you're getting exercise, uh, getting it out out of your normal surroundings for a change of scenery. It it not only helps your physical health, but it also helps your mental health. Um, And it kind of gives you that well-rounded, um, sense of
1: just normalcy, if you want to call it that, if that makes sense. So, in your time with the association, has there been any uh, success story that stands out for you? Uh,
0: there's been a lot
1: of para,
0: like, people that start out, uh, playing sledge hockey, and they work their way up at, and actually get to go on and represent their country with at the Paralympics. Uh, you've got Brad Bowden, you've got Adam Dixon, you've got Rod Crane, you've got Tyler McGregor. I could go on. Um, you know, they all have uh, different disabilities, um, but there's all kinds of success stories. And, it, and, and, I mean, it doesn't even have to be at that national level, you, we have a provincial team, such team Ontario. Uh, if you play, if you're playing in your club and you're, you're exceeding or you're you're very good at what you do, you have that opportunity to play at the next level and then go and compete at the Canadian Championships. So there are all kinds of success stories all over the province like that, uh, which are good because. A lot of people don't get those chances when they have a disability, and versus someone who <coughs> plays stand-up hockey, who might who might start out in you know going from ten bits hockey to the junior C to playing in the OHL, and maybe their career is done when they when they're done playing in the OHL. But I mean, same with sledge hockey. If you get the chance to play for STO, it's kind of like playing in the OHL. It's our version of it, if that makes sense.
1: It does and. Yeah like to thank you for taking the time out to do this, but if you can stay on the line for a sec, that'd be great. Yeah, for sure, no Handy Link HandyLink will be right back after these commercial messages, so stay tuned.
0: So you're hanging with your inner circle. Maybe you're making cocktails. Maybe you're packing bowls. Even while we're distancing, it's important to remember, alcohol and cannabis each mess with your driving skills be cool. Make sure you and your friends get home safe. Take a cab if you need to. A few bucks could save a life. And we can do it again next weekend. A message from Arrive Alive, Drive Sober.
1: Andy link sponsored by the Italian-, Italian Canadian Handy Capable Association, an organization that provides recreational and athletic opportunities for individuals with disabilities in Windsor, Essex. For more information check out ICHA on Facebook. I'm your host, Cam Wells. Earlier in our show, Darren Cunliffe told us a little bit about sledge hockey and our friend Nama Weingarten, told us a little bit about her project on dealing with rejection. In this segment of our show, we'll be getting an update on the Gorlin Syndrome Alliance from Julie Branniser. So, what's the latest with the Alliance?
3: The latest with the Gorlin Syndrome Alliance is, well, there are a few things. The first is that uh, there's a new clinical trial underway for a topical medication, that we hope will reduce the development of new basal cell carcinoma skin cancers. And that's really exciting for us as a patient population to have the potential of another tool in our pockets for treatments that, and this is particularly important because it won't leave a scar. Uh, that's, that's huge because a lifelong, a life, a life of frequent surgeries and scars Leaves, can leave a lot of disfigurement over time. The other exciting thing we have going on is that on October 8th of this year, we're going to be conducting a PFDD, which is a patient-focused drug development meeting for the FDA. The important thing here is that being a rare disease, most people don't know what Gorlin syndrome is, what life with Gorlin syndrome is like, what our burdens are, what our unmet needs are, and what our goals for the future are, and how treatments could be better. So this meeting will be a day-long virtual meeting that will allow us to educate the FDA and others who are interested on just those things. And uh, out of the meeting comes a document called the Voice of the Patient Report, And that will be a permanent part of FDA records, as well as a permanent part of our record and be stored on our website. The voice of the patient report is something that the FDA will use when other researchers and people who are have a new product to treat Gorlin syndrome go to the FDA. They'll reference the voice of the patient report to understand whether this is truly an unmet need, uh, something that would make a difference in our lives or not. So this is a big deal for us. We hope to get as many affected people and family members at the meeting, virtually as possible, because the FDA will be asking questions and they'll be polling questions that can be answered remotely. So it's very exciting for us and and really critical for our future. So we can say, go ahead. Sorry.
1: So I'm kind of noticing something you brought up uh, when you mentioned about the scarring from the surgeries and. Uh, the burden someone with gorlin syndrome has to endure uh, wouldn't it leave a mental health impact uh, having the scar and the reminder of all that one has gone through with the condition
3: oh very much so yes uh, and that's that's critical because this is something that the scarring gets more extensive over the life uh, over our lifetimes and is very noticeable for most people and particularly obviously scars on the face neck and scalp depending on your gender but those on the scalp scars on the scalp hair does not regrow there so you end up as a woman you end up with can end up with significant bald spots if because the hair does not grow through scar so there's that burden and there's the burden of the mental health burden of the anxiety about the surgery. How big is the skin cancer going to be? What what will people think? How am I going to look? Am I going to need to have more surgery or plastic surgery to put me back together again with a skin graft? That sort of thing. And so. some of them take a long time to recover from, if ever, because... You might be left with a defect in your in your ear, or I just the scarring can be all over, and uh, it there is a huge mental health impact to having Gorlin syndrome on many many levels.
1: So, how do you go about providing information to to lessen the worries of someone affected who does come to the to the Alliance?
3: So the Gorlin Syndrome Alliance provides information in, in many ways. One is when people contact on us at our info at web, uh, email address. We respond that way. We also have several, we have a public Facebook group and then several private Facebook pages where people with the syndrome can uh, talk with one another and get support from one another. Uh, and we have a very active database that we're working to validate, and by validate, I mean we have a group of volunteers who are starting to contact people to say, has your address changed? Has your phone number changed? What's your email address? Because without that information, we're unable to provide people with the most up-to-date, up-to-the-minute scoop on Opportunities that we have to support and educate, as well as information on clinical trials and that sort of thing.
1: So, what are the next steps forward as you get ready for the events and the report you described?
3: The next step, or next steps forward for the patient-focused drug development meeting, are to continue to promote it with our community and ask people to register for it and that information will be coming out and also get people to commit to being there. This is a true opportunity to make a difference in our individual future and that of our offspring and the children who we know who are affected. We can all sit around and say oh the you know this is a terrible bummer to have these manifestations. But this is the first real opportunity we have to make a difference, a positive difference, in our future. And so that's we really want to do everything we can to promote it and get people to understand how critical it is to be there.
1: So what message would you send to the community about the need to keep taking positive steps?
3: The message is to keep up with your care, Keep seeing your dermatologist, your oral surgeon, and other specialists you need to see, and keep informed by giving the giving your information to the Gorlin Syndrome Alliance, and to be with us on October 8th from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. Eastern at the patient-focused drug development meeting that we're doing for the FDA, because this is critical to our future, and has the potential to really provide a positive impact. We, we can help ourselves this way.
1: I'd like to thank you for taking the time out to do this, but if you can stay on the line for a sec, that'd be great. Thank you. Of course. I think NAMA's video project speaks to a key facet of disability life, the understanding that not everyone's going to be immediately accepting or understanding truth is, the more people with disabilities push forward and live their lives as people of strength and dignity and command that respect and that dignity to which we're all entitled, the better the understanding will turn out to be, more doors that will open. This has been Handylink. I'm your host, Cam Wells, reminding you we're all equal, so get on out there and have yourselves a good one. Something tells me you've earned it, folks. We'll see you next week.